Hey, Action Alerts Plus members, it's Chris Versace here. And as you know, we not only read all sorts of information on companies, from their filings with the SEC, press releases, we scour their financials, their presentations. We do the same for key customers and suppliers as well when evaluating them for the portfolio. But we also like to have a dialogue with companies in the various industries to which the portfolio has exposure. And given the position that the portfolio has in the shares of the First Trust NASDAQ Cybersecurity ETF, and our view that cybersecurity is simply a must-have in terms of investment exposure, I recently spoke with Martin Resch, CEO of Notography, a company focused on securing the atomized network. We provide a quick review of his background in the text below. And as you can see, it's simply second to none. It quickly confirms his position in the industry. The conversation we have quickly, quickly, quickly confirms that there is no end in sight to the growing threat of cyber attackers. We discuss the nature of the atomized network, why ransomware attacks are increasingly prevalent, and what up-and-coming threats Notography is seeing. Martin also shares why R&D spending is expected to continue to grow in the coming years to keep up with the increasing array of threats. But at the same time, time to solution is critical for cybersecurity companies to win business. The key takeaway is simply this. The conversation with Martin Resch at Notography supports the portfolio's position in cyber shares. And it's one that we expect to add to over time, simply because the new connective technologies ranging from 5G and 6G and the Internet of Things or simply IoT, those and others simply pave the way for continued growth in cyber pain. Therefore, companies and increasingly individuals will need to protect themselves. Marty, I cannot believe that it's been nine, ten years since you and I last spoke back when you were the CTO of SourceFire. And if I remember correctly, that was right around the time the business either was or about to be acquired by Cisco. So I'm really, really happy to reconnect with you. Uh, I want to learn what you're doing about uh, with Netography, your latest uh, place. But I also want to understand how you're looking at the cybersecurity industry. And I say that because you won't you won't cop to this but I'll I'll just use it to set the base for the for the listeners here you're the guy behind snort right so mm -hmm. so I'm very very curious to to get your take on cybersecurity because every headline that we get it seems like you know someone is being hit with ransomware um, you know, power plants are going down in Europe. People are, are, are uh, embedding malicious code everywhere. It, it just seems like a golden, I mean, huge pain point, don't get me wrong, but a huge opportunity for cybersecurity companies. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting how things have, uh, uh, to some degree, changed, but how things, you know, largely stay the same. You know, the the threats morph and change, and they um, they come back in two different ways. And as the defenses adjust to deal with them, they you know they invent new ways to come back. So it's, right, right, right. It's I a think cycle. I, I I think the conversation we had back in 2013, you you said something at the time that really opened my eyes to uh, the cyber threats. And, and if I remember correctly, it was along the lines of, look, there are thousands of lines of codes to be protected. Okay, the bad guy bad guys, bad girls, whatever. They only have to violate one, maybe two. Is that is that still the way it is? 
Uh, yeah, it is. Well, it keeps compounding. That that uh, whole line of reasoning was essentially, you know, from uh, you know the street.com listener standpoint, you know, we understand this uh, concept of total addressable market and. Uh, Total addressable market for attackers is measured in lines of code that are available to be attacked, and it's you know it's hundreds of billions of lines of code uh, that are constantly compounding. More and more software is being built all the time, so you know it's it's pretty straight statistics. Like if we for every thousand lines of code that is written, there's some statistically normal uh, number of bugs in them. For every one of those bugs, there's a statistically normal number of those bugs that are going to be security vulnerabilities. And guess what that turns into? Well, that's total addressable market for attackers. So more code equals more opportunity for attackers. And over the last 10 years, what have we done? We plugged everything we possibly could into the internet. <laughs> so. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, that, but but that's the thing, though. So, like, you know, when I sit back and I, I, I think about the cybersecurity and where it's going, you know, people talk about 5G, eventually 6G, IoT, you know, connected car, you know, connected this, connected that. I just feel like there's going to be explosion in the number of vulnerable points. But but now you're telling me it's also all these lines of code. It, it just seems like a perfect combination, perfect storm, if you will, for cyber attackers. Oh, absolutely. You know, the uh, um, I think the the line from Jurassic Park. You know, you guys spent so much time figuring out if you could. Nobody asked if you should. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, I, I I I totally get that. So what when as you look out, you know, a couple of quick questions. Any slowdown in that that you can see that that's going to thwart the velocity of attacks that we're seeing? Is there anything? Uh, the only thing slowing uh, attackers down is um, improvements in you know kind of security postures, improvements in security awareness, uh, uh, new features added to uh, things like operating systems like Windows and Mac OS and things like that that are you know designed to mitigate classes of attacks and things like that and, and you know new security architectures like zero trust they're all designed to slow down the attackers but you know um, I didn't hear stop Mark there's there's a difference between uh, designed to slow down and actually in reality from an implementation standpoint actually slowing down right so things like zero trust are really supposed to help slow down the attackers by making it just much much harder for them to exploit their access to um, you know, uh, environments that they break into on the one hand, but on the other hand, the way that uh, they're frequently implemented in companies big and small doesn't actually get the job 100% done or even kind of 50% done in a lot of places. But, you know, it's all steps in the right direction. And what we're doing is we're raising the bar and increasing the cost of the attacker to have a successful attack. And that's kind of the name of the game. Okay. Okay. So even as, you know, just to make sure I understand this, even as we continue to move further into the cloud, whether it's personal or enterprise, Amazon, Microsoft, um, you know, Google and the like, as they continue to grow their businesses, it, it sounds like the treasure trove of data, the crown jewels, if you will, that are being placed in there, attackers are still going to go after them. It might take a little longer, but they're still going to try and get what they can. Correct. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and this is that actually that's a uh, a bit of a segue point into kind of some of the, the narrative elements that uh, uh, we've been developing at um, my current role in notography. Um, you know, you do have this migration to the cloud. And actually, there's it's really interesting what's happened in the last few years since the pandemic hit. And I'll, I'll go into that in a second. But one of the really interesting things about this uh, transition and migration to cloud infrastructure services, whatever, 
is the fact that, you know, survey after survey is showing that something on the order of like two thirds of enterprises don't expect to ever migrate everything to the cloud. They're just migrating, you know, some percentage of their stuff to the cloud and it could be a greater percentage or a lesser percentage, but that's kind of an interesting data point. But the other interesting thing, and this is some, one of the things that we've really hung our hat on here in autography is what we call the atomized network. And let me right. paint, paint you a picture. Um, so, you know, up until the pandemic hit, like moving to the cloud for enterprises and autography primarily like deals with enterprises. Moving to the cloud for enterprises was kind of this very set piece managed affair. You know, we're gonna decommission the data center in Boise, Idaho, and we are going to move it to the cloud. Okay, cool. Well, there's a project manager for that and there's all the stakeholders in a room and you do weekly meetings and you have readouts and you send reports to your CIO. And, you know, eventually once all the ducks are in a row, you move the thing out. This is a very curated, you know, contemplated, considered um, thing that you've done. Okay, well then, you know, most enterprises were doing that sort of thing. And then two and a half years ago, pandemic arrives and what happens? Well, everybody gets sent home. Right. What's, what's management tell everybody? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I'm used to working in an office with, you know, 2,000 other people and I got sent home. We have no idea when we're coming back and what is the, you know, from on high, what is the order of the day? Just get your job done, right? Zoom it. Zoom it, yeah. You zoom, do whatever you got to do to just get your job done. So what do people start doing? They start standing up cloud infrastructure left and right because they got to get their job done. But there's nobody, literally nobody at the uh, the at the store mining the the server IT, you know, the IT environments, the, the server rooms and things like that. So standing up new stuff gets harder and harder. So what do people do? They just start standing up in the cloud. But and here's the the really interesting thing. So they start doing that. But not only do they do that, but they start um, doing something very natural, which is, well, you know, I've got this new application that I've stood up in the cloud because my job was just get my job done. But the data that it needs is still in the data center that's running at the office. So right. what do they do? They connect them to each other. Well, what does that do? Well, that uh, creates what we in the software world call creates a dependency. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So now that database can't go away or that application breaks. So if I ever want to move that database to the cloud, I have to figure out all the dependencies that are there for that database. Right. Right. And I've got to move it. So what that does is it cements that data center running that database kind of in place. And it also starts building this, this web of connections between all these applications and cloud presences that become very hard to unwind now. So this is what we call the atomized network. It's basically this multi-cloud hybrid cloud with on-prem world of infrastructure that's been created in the wake of the uh, of the pandemic and it really has implications for how we protect our networks and and what would that be marty well i'm glad you asked <laughs> so, <laughs> so um so here's the problem so you've got kind of two classes of uh defensive security infrastructure for dealing with networks Class one is the stuff we're all used to, firewalls and intrusion mm -hmm. prevention systems and next generation firewalls, the stuff that you buy from like Palo Alto or Cisco or Fortinet or whoever, big companies, really powerful, uh, you know, pieces of equipment uh, that they put into these places. And they do their job and they do it well. But as these migrations to the cloud start happening, those pieces of hardware don't translate very readily to the cloud. Now, a lot of those companies have cloud appliances where they take the, you know, this piece of hardware and they shrink it down into a piece of virtual software that you can then deploy in the cloud, but it doesn't really work great in the cloud. It, it you know, it kind of does its thing, but like getting packets to an intrusion prevention system in the cloud is actually pretty complicated and costly affair to do that. So we kind of have uh, this kind of poorly fit solution from the traditional vendors. And then we got the pure cloud guys. 
The pure cloud guys, all they care about is the cloud. They don't even think about your on-prem on-premise infrastructure. So on-prem, when really? I shortcut on-prem, what I'm talking about is computers running in buildings that you own. <laughs> right. So that's your data centers and things like that. So here's the issue. So I got this cloud stuff that doesn't even think about the old world. I got the old world stuff that doesn't, you know, doesn't really fit very well with the new world. And I've got different teams who run them. They have different ways of describing what a, a hacker looks like. They have different reporting mechanisms. And when something happens, they probably have different teams that run them. So I've got these huge organizational problems, these huge technology coordination problems, you know, these massive gaps between these technologies. And kind of one of my buzz phrases that I come up with here at Notography is attackers live in the gaps, right? So the attackers, like, that's right in between. Gold for them, right. Exactly. So, so what you're saying is, if I, if I can keep this simple, the mm -hmm. left hand doesn't talk to the right hand. The right hand might not even know the left hand exists, but because they need to work together in between is where the attackers hide. Yeah. Yep. One of my favorite quotes that I've gotten from a CISO, Chief Information Security Officer of a, a large enterprise in the last year since I came to Netography, said, uh, the only thing that keeps me up at night is I've got a thousand developers working from home and they all have credit cards. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. Oh, my goodness. So, so how, but how did Netography focus in on this? And, and the reason I asked this question, Marty, is there's a lot of areas, a lot of, you know, attack vectors that are out there why this one and it seems as if just just based on the way you, you quickly described it please correct me if i'm wrong that you would think that you know amazon and these others are thinking about this but it doesn't seem like it they well they are to some degree but right. amazon's thinking about it and microsoft's thinking about it and google is thinking about it and so are all the other big cloud vendors but they all have different tools to do it. And you need different people, or you could have the same people, but they need to be trained on the different tools and they look for kind of different things. And they talk about it in different ways and they have different reporting systems. And the, oh, by the way, if you want to bring that all together so the people who operate security in your enterprise can actually figure out what's going on, you have to get it out of those places and into a place where it can be you know, brought together. So there's lots of nuts and bolts, right, required to actually make it work. So like uh, Amazon has, um, they have their guard duty technology and they have cloud trail and you know that works pretty well uh, and they've uh, microsoft has their sentinel and defender stuff that works pretty well but the problem is orchestrating it and getting kind of one picture of exactly what's going on in enterprise because what we've heard over and over again from a lot of big enterprises that have uh, kind of evolved into these atomized networks is that you know and this is it's pretty straightforward i'm blind like i have no idea what's going on across my entire enterprise i don't know what i got i don't know what it's doing i'm having a really hard time seeing what's happening to it so, so that's fascinating to me because you know from the outside we hear about how companies are really getting tough you know on cyber attacks how cybersecurity is now a board issue but what you're saying is that yeah that might all be true it still doesn't mean they know what's happening and, and there was a stat that I saw recently, I think it was 43% of CEOs surveyed said that we are not prepared for a cyber attack. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I saw, I read a really interesting uh, interview with a ransomware hacker um, a couple of weeks ago. And it was kind of fascinating because it really, uh, it, it all came back to what we've been observing. So this guy was, uh, he's Russian and he's very successful. And he basically said, look, everybody's doing ransomware because that's where the money is. And it's like, well, you know, why do you rob banks? That's where the money is, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, so that's the, uh, uh, the approach. And this guy's way of breaking in was basically, he was doing network-based attacks to gain a, a 
presence in an environment, then he was leveraging the Active Directory infrastructure, which is Microsoft's um, service for, you know, getting people authenticated basically to spread ransomware around. Then he locks down the, you know, sets off the ransomware and then gets his money. Okay, cool. Um, but the fascinating thing that he said was he he prefers to target companies that have a billion dollars a year or more in revenue because those companies, despite the fact that they had big security teams, very frequently had no idea what was going on and no idea how to respond to an attack. And I bet they'll they'll pay as well. They'll and, and also <laughs> they enough money to pay, right? So, but but the interesting thing from my perspective was he's targeting these large companies because their networks are so large and complex that they really can't get their hands around uh, what's going on. Right, 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 right. Okay, now. You, you just mentioned ransomware. Do you still see that being the prevalent attack format, if you will, as we go forward? Uh, it's pretty prevalent. Um, yeah, there's there's still a lot going on there. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a fast and easy way to make money, but it is a money maker, and it's mm -hmm. you know it's a growth industry. And so uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurs in growth industries, and uh, you know the bad guys are just as entrepreneurial as the good guys in a lot of cases, and that's what they know. So. Uh, yeah, it's still a major uh, problem for um, many enterprises. Is is there anything that's, I mean, because ransomware gets a lot of headline attention. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you're seeing that's coming up that could be, you know, the new, new thing or the next big thing in terms of types of attacks? Um, well, ransomware is definitely uh, out there. I think, um, you know, you're, you're going to see a lot of um, work put into subverting uh, the newer mechanisms that are out there. So I think uh, one of the things that we're seeing more, and this gets a little more nuts and boltsy. Mm -hmm. um, That's all right. Yeah. So so this is this is another thing that we've kind of identified. One of the reasons that Netography is kind of bringing back network security, which has been really downplayed over the, the last few years, is um, because uh, it's so hard to get an idea of what's going on and what you've got and what it's doing, things like that. Um, on modern atomized networks. And one of the reasons why, besides kind of the, the fact that um, this process of atomizing the network and, and all of the uh, encryption that's used on networks uh, now is really blinding the infrastructure. Either the infrastructure can't be put someplace that matters or it blinds what's out there. So the stuff that we used to do at SourceFire, for example, is very um, sensitive to encrypted traffic. If traffic is encrypted, I can't see what's going. I can't right. read it, right. so I can't do you know my thing. This affects next-gen firewalls. This affects intrusion prevention systems and things like that. Um, so that capability has been displaced in a lot of places, and what replaced it was what we call EDR, endpoint detection response. This is basically um, high-end, next-generation uh, antivirus technology that everywhere. So like CrowdStrike is, uh, you know, kind of the big name in the space now. Their technology is excellent. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it does what it does and it does it well. Um, but attackers know this and they're right. constantly right. looking for ways to get around it. And, uh, but, you know, but, but, that's the, but that's the name of the game, right? If oh, someone absolutely. builds a better mousetrap, I have to build a better attack. And it just delivers. Yeah. Right. So that's one of the things is that attackers are seeking ways to circumvent EDR systems. And the other thing is that, you know, we have this big... Um, uh, kind of, uh, I, I guess I would almost call a renaissance in security called uh, zero trust. This is mm -hmm. zero trust architectures and things like that. And this is essentially um, taking uh, 
making it harder to leverage your access. The theory of it is I'm going to make it harder for an attacker once they've broken in to leverage uh, what they've broken into to, to spread out into my network. So it used to be that networks we had, you know, we talked about they have a crunchy shell and a chewy center, right? So <laughs> if you break in, you have access to the whole thing. Zero trust operates by basically saying you have to have explicit access to everything in an enterprise instead of implicit access. So explicit is I get onto a system and if I want access to something else, I have to be granted access to that thing. Um, and the next thing I want, I have to be granted access to that. And the mechanism that we use to do that is encryption. So we encrypt disks and we encrypt and we encrypt the network. So it's really hard to kind of move around. Um, and then I leverage these identity services to essentially say, oh, it's Marty. And right, Marty wants right. to access this. Does he have permission to? Yes, he does. Okay, great. Boom. Away we go. Um, so that's the theory of it. So if an attacker gets in there and they don't have credentialed access, they don't have like the username and the password, um, then they can't move. Uh, but the reality is, is that, well, actually, there's ways around that as well. So, do you, do you, so let me ask you this, just totally out, out of left field. Do you see a greater adoption uh, of biometrics to help kind of thwart that? Well, it's not so much, well, so biometrics does do a good job of thwarting that um, in a lot of ways. It's a step forward, uh, you know, using biometrics instead of using passwords is a step forward because quite frankly, you know, people use bad passwords and biometrics are much harder. Wait, 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 you mean password one, two, three is not good? <laughs> no, right? Exactly. Yeah, my last name, one, two, three, and the next question, <laughs> get fancy. Well, uh, you know, just, just on a side note, you know, we, we were, I was chatting with a bunch of folks and they were like, I can't believe some people fall for those games on Facebook. What was the name of your first dog? You know, what's what's your favorite number? Because people don't realize that those are, you know, uh, baby fishing attacks, if you will. Yeah, they're just strip mining you. Um, yeah, I got a, you know, I, I get text uh, SMS phishing these days. I got a thing yesterday saying, oh, your Amazon account has been locked. Click here to, you know, re <laughs> Just go to Amazon and see. It's that yeah, simple. How incredibly legit that sounds. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, anyway, sorry, sorry. You, you were answering a question on biometrics, and I, I totally derailed. No, that's cool. No, they, they, it raises the bar. Um, and, and, you know, I much prefer to have and remember, um, you know, passwords and stuff like that uh, or use a password manager. So I, I think that that's definitely helping. But the, the, the problem that you get beyond that is that all of the mechanisms behind the scenes, so the man behind the curtain that's making all this stuff go, that, you know, goes from taking a picture of Marty's face to turning that into, oh, it's Marty. We can let him have access to X, Y, Z. Um, is how we move that information around. Here's an authentication token. Here's a you know here's a cookie that says right. that's me, and we just we start passing it around inside the network and things like that. And if an attacker gets their hands on it or if they learn how to spoof it, then uh, the game's up. Yeah, it, it seems to me that is it. The risk is that the biometric companies, while helping individuals and companies secure access, they are putting a target on their back. Hmm. In terms of what, like get, having people's uh, identity, their biometric information stripped, or or uh, the fact that the biometric information being stored can be, in theory, stolen and then used. Yeah, yeah. the the second one. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, it, it really depends on the architecture of the biometric system, and this is, I I think, the larger problem is that nobody really understands the architecture behind these things very frequently. So, for example, on my iPhone. It uses the trusted platform module to store my biometric information, and uh, breaking that is an incredibly difficult feat. Like people don't go after the the TPMs, the Trusted Platform Manager. 
um, they go at or module they they go after other um, pieces of the puzzle to try to break in. Um, so in theory, it's pretty that's a pretty hard target. However, if you had some other phone, if you you know I've got my um, my super phone that's you know made in wherever have no idea. <laughs> in, in are you are, are are you about to make fun of Android? Is that what you're about to do? Um, well, not necessarily. What I'm really making fun of is the, um, you know. I'm not sure I understand. Thank you, Siri. Oh, oh, Siri's paying attention. Look at that. There you go. <laughs> Speaking of biometrics. Um, I'm not sure that it really. So there's this kind of, there's this industry out there that basically uh, surfs on, you know, identity and stuff like that. So get your Patriot phone and your Patriot phone will, you know, keep you in touch with other Patriots. Okay, cool. Um but who built that phone? Well, that phone was built in, you know, China, North Korea, whatever. We have no some, idea. What some some low-cost manufacturing location. Right. And how is its how is its biometric authentication system implemented? Well, it's actually shipping your biometric information out to a server in some other, you know, some ITAR country that you didn't know about and you have no idea, right? So, yeah, there's there's all sorts of concerns about that when you have these very opaque systems that nobody knows what's going on behind the scenes. Okay. Okay. Um, let me let me try and bring us back a little bit um, from a investment perspective. You know, as as you know, just kind of encapsulating some of the things we talked about, where you know, greater number of attack vectors, increasingly complex. Um, do, do cybersecurity companies need to invest more in R and D? Well, we we just did a blog post on this uh, a few weeks ago. So my considered opinion, and it's been my opinion for a long time, this is all, all the way back in the, the, the old days, um, is that real innovation in the security industry comes from startups. Um, you can you see it time after time after time. Uh, and we even see it with the, the leaders in the industry today, the Crossroads mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and Palo Altos mm -hmm. and the Cisco's and so on, well, um, where they go out and they buy startups. Didn't, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Google just finished acquiring Mandiant, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and you know, sometimes I joke around when I'm I'm being a, a little snarky uh, behind the scenes. You know, a lot of these large security companies are actually 20 startups in a trench coat. Um, <laughs> but the, but but does that make it hard though? Because you you go back to your comment earlier about um, having everything work together. That that's got to be like a massive integration nightmare. It is incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. So the problem with you know 20 startups in the trench coat is that you get brought in and uh, so your company gets acquired and brought into you know largeco.com and um, what that company is going to try to do is you, you know yes you're bringing technology to the table and personnel and expertise and stuff like that but if they have existing security technologies especially it becomes um, incredibly difficult because these things were never made to work together right the existing right, technologies right. and the new company the stuff was never made to work together. Are they actually setting aside some sort of budget to drive integration, a meaningful platform integration, so that they look like one thing and they look like they were developed by one team and they work like they were developed with one team? Or is it we're going to squeeze the efficiencies out of this business and you know you can send your data to my collector and you know that's how we're going to integrate and you end up with you know you can have uh, you know six different companies that are under one umbrella and they've got six different management platforms that don't talk to each other and interoperate. Um, and that happens over and over and over again uh, in this industry. So, um, you know, one of the things that I was kind of uh, scratch my head about is how do you make a, a um, an acquisition good for the customers of the acquired company? 
Uh, <laughs> well, the the line is, oh, this is going to be great for you because we're going to expand our capabilities and we'll bundle it together and it'll be wonderful. But but that that's that's the sale line to the customer. Yeah, I've seen both sides of it. You know, so you know when we got acquired at Sourcefire, like our engineering capacity to bring out new feature sets rapidly expanded massively, and our ability to service yeah. you know the customers expanded massively and stuff like that. However, our innovation roadmap definitely um, slowed down as time marched on, uh, because you know you you expand into this customer base. It's no longer three thousand customers; it's two hundred thousand customers, and that's a very different. Uh, well, I think I I think for the listener, it, it's almost akin to some of the issues that Microsoft has with Windows, right? It has to be interoperable with so many different devices, yeah, printers, cameras, game control. I mean, you name it. So that that build has got to be massive. Right. And it, yeah. and, it, and it hobbles you from being, I think, truly uh, innovative. It, it really well, it definitely makes it much, much harder. And a lot of companies aren't up to it. Microsoft's done a really interesting job of, of continuing to like drive things forward, though. I will give them that. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, you know, real innovation and security very frequently comes from startups because. Those are the people, you know, I, I like to, uh, I joke around, especially with um, uh, early stage companies that I advise now, because, you know, now that I'm old and have gray hair, I, uh, <laughs> I, do, I do a lot of advising. At least, at least you have a full head of hair, Marty. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I have to, you know, the the, the uh, street members, they, they see me on video, you know, not quite like this, but, you know, they, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they see the spot growing in the back. Yeah. Well, I, um, you know, one of the things I joke around with the the uh, founders and uh, CEOs of these uh, early stage startups I talk to, and I say, you know, one advantage that you guys have is that you're unencumbered by success, so you have the opportunity to kind of go any direction that you know you feel you you need to go, uh, and you you know you're not going to have a bunch of customers hassling you to to uh, you know get their features or <laughs> fix them. Mm-hmm. But like but I, I like the fact that you're doing that because. You know, it's it's one thing to be in, inside a company, right? And then you're kind of, uh, you know, building a business, but arguably potentially drinking the Kool-Aid. By you advising these other startups, you really have your pulse on what's going on, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I definitely try to. It's you got to be relevant to these guys, and you know, especially with first timers. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing when I started Sourcefire. I had no idea, and you know, I'm 20 years down the road now, and I have a much better idea. At least I know who to right. call. Right, right, right. And that's the that's half the battle. That's all, that's awesome. That 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 is nice that you're kind of giving back. But I, I do like the fact that, like I said, it keeps you kind of you know on the pulse. Is is there anything that you're seeing that's kind of like, oh man, that is cool? Um. That I would say is really cool. I, I think we're seeing a lot of interesting development. You, you know, there's all these DR technologies now. There's XDR, there's CDR. Back up, back up, back up. DR for the listener. Yeah, sorry. DR, detection response. So in the old days, we used to call things, you know, intrusion detection systems and intrusion prevention systems. And their job is essentially to detect attacks and respond to them. Um, and then time marched on. We had next generation firewalls, and they kind of uh, really eroded the presence of intrusion detection and prevention systems in the market. But that function, that capability, didn't really go away. So along came NDR, network detection response, and then more uh, well, and about the same time, EDR, endpoint detection response. So on the network and on the device, detection response of you know nefarious activities. And then after that, we have XDR, and XDR is like X. 
detection response. Every, everything's detection everything. response, which is, okay. seems to me, and we really as an industry have a hard time defining exactly what that is. It seems to me it's a lot like the second coming of uh, security information and event management, but um, you know, I'm sure that's open to debate. Now we have CDR, which is cloud detection response, things like that, and IDR, which is identity detection response. I think identity detection response is really interesting. Um, quite frankly, uh, you, you know, the thing that got me, I was semi-retired uh, when photography uh, mm-hmm. asked me to come um, join the join the, uh, the the tribe here, and uh, I found what um, what they were doing, like the platform that they had built. So one of my um, one of the things that I'm good at is like seeing a technology and understanding not just what it does, but what it could also do. Sure. What else sure. it could do, right? So I saw what they had built. I was like, ooh, this is super cool. I gotta get um, get in with these guys because uh, the technology and the platform that they had built was. It was actually something that I'd been, I'd spent close to a decade thinking about how do you build a network-based capability that does the kinds of things that uh, Netography does. So I had ideas that stretch way, way back uh, about how to do this sort of thing. And and, this, and what I'm talking about is essentially how do I build a, uh, a network security infrastructure, not an endpoint security infrastructure that lets me do things like deploy instantly without having to deploy hardware, but still have real-time um, detection and response capability. How do I uh, uh, define an attack once in a cloud backend and be able to um, have that capability capability deployed across my entire global footprint instantly? Those kinds of things. Because what that does is it changes how I can do network security. It changes the the pace, uh, mm-hmm. the ability to, to be where you need to be when you need to be there. It's not a piece of hardware that has to ship to a data center that a guy has to unbox and plug into right. a rack and right. get packs. And it's not like that. It's like, oh, you need capability in Buenos Aires right now? Uh, can boom. you change these two configuration lines on you know the local infrastructure? Yes, boom. Okay, we're, we're up. And now we're seeing what's going on. And in, in minutes, uh, we can have you know substantive capabilities wherever a problem is. And we can have this ability to monitor the long-term health of a network environment globally across an atomized network. It's not, doesn't have a different behaviors for your on-premise data centers versus your cloud data centers. It's the same capability uniformly across the entire atomized network. And that's the thing that got me excited. I was like, oh, this is super cool. Um, wow. That's, what I, I, that's, I, that, that's, I mean, I, that sounds like a game changer. Well, that's what we think. <laughs> well, right, right. No, yeah. but I mean, I mean, the the ability to be up that quickly. Um, oh, it's incredible, and, and on a global scale, because it's. I mean, it's very different from a lot of the other things that you kind of see, where there's some. You said hardware, software, whatever it is. There's some install period, and there's some training period, and it's got to be rolled up. Whereas it's almost, I don't want to say remote, but that's what it sounds like. It, it is to, to a large degree. So our whole concept, we're, we're a SaaS service, right? So we're software as a service, we're in the cloud, and that's the only place we are. So there's nothing to deploy with us, no software or hardware, and we leverage information that your networks, whether they're in the cloud or in your, uh, you know, your on-premise data center, is already capable of get, generating. So we take information that's already there, we call it living off the land. We take information that's already there, we bring it together in our cloud backend, and then we start telling what's going on. I'll tell you a, a story with our the first customer we got after I got to the company. So I'd been at the company a few weeks, and you know I'm still you know meeting and greeting the team and and kind of you know getting our ducks in a row. We had this customer show up that was in crisis. They were uh, as an airline. They had a denial of service attack that had been ongoing for a while, for like a week plus, 
and there was a ransom demand to make it stop. So this is another okay. type of extortion that's out there. Um, so they asked if we could help and we said, sure. So we stood up an account for them and had them point their, uh, what we call flow sources. So their, their data sources at us. Um, of course, you know, they had to spend, we told them what was required and they had to, you know, talk to their lawyers and stuff like that. Hey, can we, right, right, right. right. Cause this is like an emergency situation, but they, they got they it. Were, they, they, their data like they were, they were a little, their, their back was up against the wall. It sounds absolutely. Like. Yeah. They were in a very bad uh, condition. So they got it sorted out. They turned the data sources towards us. We went from first data arriving to, and we did the, the analysis for them because they'd never seen the product before. So obviously they didn't know what to do. So we went from the first data arriving to telling them how to fix their problem so that they could fix it in 50 minutes. I'm sorry, so, one five? No, five zero. Five zero. Okay. I just want, I mean, 50 is impressive. Don't get me wrong, but I would have been, I would have fell out of my chair for 15. But now, that's 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 what. So what was the what was their reaction to that? Could they 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 couldn't believe it? I bet. Oh yeah, they they started calling us because the they so they fixed the the problem initially. The attacker who was monitoring because they're making money, right? The attacker was monitoring. They came back two different ways. We detected and characterized and blocked those too. Um, and you know they started calling us silver bullet internally. That was. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, so uh, yeah, it was great, um, but you know it, it was it's extremely powerful. But the this this argument of time to value, you, you know, back in the old days, like when we were shipping appliances around, like if you had an emergency, we could be helping you within months. <laughs> right, 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 right. This is if you've got an emergency, we can be helping you within minutes. That's that's um, that's fantastic. Oh, nothing Utterly like fantastic. this has ever existed before. That's why that's I mean I was literally like you know. I was on the boat. I was taking phone calls with entrepreneurs <laughs> and having a good time and like generally enjoying myself. And they were they asked me, "Would you like to come run this?" And I was looking at it. I looked at it a couple of ways. I was like, "It can do right. this. It can do this. Yes, absolutely. Let's do this." That's that's and that's you know you didn't say it, but I, I could see it by your body language. Energizing. Oh yeah. Well, without even talking to me, these guys kind of had the same. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. thought process I did, and they built exactly, exactly what I was thinking should well, be. Well, that's built. great. You were able to come in and not have to do a lot of the early lifting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, but awesome. no, they, they're, you know, fantastic engineers, and they, they've built an incredibly solid product that things scales massively. I mean, you know, it's just, it's been a real pleasure to work with. And as we um, come up with things that we want to do, the just because it's, software as a service instead of you know hardware appliances running software like the speed with which you can do things is so much quicker uh, in terms of bringing things to uh, to market um, you know in the old days what used to be if we had a customer who had a feature requirement to get a, a do it installed like to land a deal mm -hmm. we would get the customer you know warmed up and we'd say you know we're going to get this feature for you we'll have it to you in 12 months and they'd wow. be like but yeah. that's but the, but the the whole point here, and I, I think it's it's worth calling out is the um, you you just said time to value, but I I would say that the time to market for solutions has has had to have accelerate if only to match the time to attack that is that has unfolded as well because the the these guys and gals whether it's an individual or one of these ransomware gangs for hire mm -hmm. uh, there's no slowing down 
So yeah. you, you, if I, I don't mean you, Marty, but you, the cybersecurity guys, you've got to continue to invent and reinvent faster and faster. Yeah, the, the tempo of operations has to increase massively, and and it hasn't really been. You, you don't see it in a lot of the technologies that are out there. So the tempo of operations for a lot of the cloud uh, capabilities that exist today um, is, you know, looking at logs, it's post facto, it's, you know, hours to days to recognize something. Uh, on the network, you can have much faster, like with the, the old fashioned way of doing things, you can have very fast detection and protection in theory, but the problem is that, y- you know, those technologies only look for what you exactly what you tell them to look for and nothing right. else. So right. they have no follow-on capability if they miss an attack. This architecture actually does have follow-on capability. So when we look at this data coming in, we keep it around for long periods of time. It's actually selectable periods of time. That's one of the uh, things in our subscription is how long you want to keep your data for and how fast you want to pump it into the system. So that ability to uh, keep it around allows you to do, you know, fancy word retrospection. It allows you to look back, uh, essentially, and and when something happens, we start hunting for the threats through the data. The data is all there, and the um, uh, system that we've architected, uh, the back end is extremely fast. So we have one of our customers who's been very outspoken about um, what we've built. Uh, it's FICO, uh, you know, Fair Isaac mm-hmm, Corporation, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, uh, they did a, um, a webinar with us a few weeks ago, and um, the the gentleman uh, from FICO, um, one of the things he said was, you know, when we're threat hunting, our existing data lake based system that we use that you know we've been using for years, when we ask it questions, it takes hours to get the answers back. We can ask the same questions out of Notography, and it takes seconds to get the answer back because we are architected for, you know, explicitly going after this problem. So. That's- it's, it's like, uh, if you will, going to the library versus going to Google search. Exactly. Yep. Wow. Well, that, that's that's impressive, Marty. Um, and Marty, you, you've been so generous with your time. Um, just one, one last question. It's really more for you. Is there anything we didn't talk about, whether it's related to nectography, whether it's cybersecurity in general, cyber attacks in general, anything we didn't talk about? Um, you know, I, I think I've kind of hinted around it. I think I'll just drive the the point home uh, most directly. Um, you know, Notography is a system that, you know, it's extremely fast time to value. doesn't require a lot for the customers to make it go. And, you know, we can answer those questions. What have you got? What is it doing? And what's happening to it across your atomized network? And, like, we're the, I, as far as I can tell, we're the only guys who can. <laughs> Well, you know, Marty, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. The only thing I will say is this. We'll have to do it again, but not in another nine years. That sounds good, Chris. I'd, uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it as well. I think that would be fun. Uh, maybe we can uh, update you periodically with kind of the observations of the world at large and uh, uh, what we're seeing over here. That would be awesome. All right, Marty. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chris.